Good evening and welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by the Freedom's Path Recovery Society. We are not affiliated with any 12-step fellowship, nor do we wish to propose only one solution. We understand how different solutions can greatly increase an individual's chance of survival. We hope to illuminate some of the recovery process by sharing as many human stories as we can. Why, you might ask, to show that we can and do build stable lives from a former state of chaos, desperation, and hopelessness. Our stories become our strength. Please remember that any and all opinions shared and heard are those of the individuals and not a reflection of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other entity. So regardless of how crappy or wonderful our opinions might be to you, they still remain opinions, nothing more. You might hear swearing adult themes and situations, as well as the tragedies humans face and walk through every day. It is not suitable for children unless they are accompanied by a parent or guardian or have the explicit permission of those individuals. Good evening. Tonight's, <laughs> tonight's guest is making me laugh already. Dana, how are you? I'm good. Nice. Welcome. Thanks. You want to tell us about yourself? Um, sure. Uh, I'm not sure where to start. Wherever you like. <laughs> you can start at the beginning. Like you were like a toddler. Before a toddler, you were like a fetus and so on and so forth. Okay. Um, but you don't have to go back that far. <laughs> Do Will I just start with where I'm from? Sure. Or? Yeah. There's sure. the format. Like I try to keep a pretty open format so that we can even have the conversation like this. Right? Okay. Yeah. You can talk about whatever you like. Uh, of course, it's a recovery podcast, yeah. so if you're you interested in telling your story, you can do that. Just jump on into it? Yeah, for sure. Okay, and you can just ask me questions as we go. Or if you pause and you think I'm going to laugh, you can, I can. we can pause, <laughs> I can laugh <laughs> and cry. Uh, okay, well, as you know, I'm, I'm from Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up in Newfoundland, very small town, uh, Portugal Cove. South, not to be confused with Portugal Cove North. What's um, the distance between the two? Uh, it's, it's about a two-hour drive between the two. Okay. Yep. Um, our claim to fame is that we have a lighthouse that received the first distress signal from the Titanic. Which is, oh. Yeah, I know, right? Wow. Yeah. So. <laughs> and from it came a town. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I grew up in this very small town. Um a lot of my family are still there, pretty isolated. Like it's about mm -hmm. two hours from any city. And there's, I mean, two cities in the whole province, but yeah. about two hours from the city. My mom um, was a teacher oh, in okay. the local school and my dad was a fisherman. And I was a middle child in that family. So obviously you're the best child. Well, yeah, yeah right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so... A lar very large family, of course, like 18 aunts and uncles, 50-odd first cousins, cold winters, mm. right? Um, yeah, so um, I, I can say I had a pretty good childhood. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was a good place to grow up. Um, I had a lot of people around me all the time. Um, was knew I was quite... Uh, Loved and cared for by lots of people. Um, had a pretty good relationship with my parents um, up until, I guess, teenage years when things sort of get rocky, like <clears throat> like most kids, I guess. Um, I was an angel, so I, 
I of can't course. Relate. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, trouble, I've heard that about you. Yeah. yeah. I'm <laughs> having trouble putting myself in that situation. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was, it was, it was a good place to grow up. I mean, if lots of people, I mean, you see these idyllic car, uh, commercials from mm-hmm. Newfoundland and how picturesque it is and beautiful. And it really is a pretty unique place and people are pretty friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the, at the same time, um, you know, I'm glad I grew up in the small town. But on the same token, there's a sort of dark underbelly to that. Mm-hmm. You know, when you grow up in these isolated places um, that have limited resources and there's a lot of poverty and mm-hmm. a lot of ignorance and a lot of crappy shit happens in those circumstances. Yeah. And, I mean, none of us were immune to that. And, um, you know, people grew up sort of having... Nothing. I mean, my family was probably thought of as the more well-to-do family mm-hmm. just because, like, my mom's father – yeah, my mom's father had a, a business and she was a teacher. So – but most people relied on the fishery, right, mm-hmm. and worked on fish plants or fish. So pretty limited in in that way. Um, so, of course, what do you do to entertain yourself? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of drinking. And we're mostly Irish Catholic, right? And church is a big part of the community. So um Irish Catholic, eh? Yeah, yeah. Irish Catholic. That's yeah. rough. Yeah, totally. <laughs> 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 yep. So um and then I mean being Irish, that drinking is a large part of that culture, right? And um, you know, the song, the dance, the drink all part of that but also like just a way to survive living on a rock in the middle of the atlantic ocean you know? yeah. um so it hey, was you're literally on a rock aren't you literally on a rock in the middle of the atlantic ocean yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know <laughs> i've never been right so the geography is hard for me to imagine yeah, yeah and and our part of the island is quite barren like there's no sort of forested area it's really wide open and yeah it's pretty brutal um, so drinking was always, it, it was just a part of daily life. Mm-hmm. And I, I, even at a young age, remember, you know, just being really aware of it and that it, like, it w- was something that brought people together and it looked fun and just there was a sort of a romance about it mm-hmm. to me, even at that age. Like I would even, my mom had a like a china cabinet with crystal in it and stuff. And I would imagine like drinking out of the crystal glasses and like, who mm-hmm. does that? Only us. <laughs> well, cause you were trying to be fancy. Right. I was trying to be fancy. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that that would, you know, that alcohol was part of that. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, I really did even at a young age kind of romanced it a bit. Mm. Um, so it just seemed pretty normal, even drunkenness, right? Like my yeah. parents had lots of, uh, parties because we had such a large family mm-hmm. lots of parties um that would go late into the night and there'd be you know um uh, <laughs> oh god i had a couple of relatives who would sort of really st- stagger out of there and you know kind of cause some kerfuffles by the end of the night but i mean for the most part pretty good family like no mm-hmm. major brawls or whatever um but it was it was definitely just part of day to day life. Um, my fa- my parents um, didn't have it. I didn't see it as either of them having a drinking mm-hmm. issue. Like my dad, 
would probably have a couple of drinks at one of these parties, and sooner or later somebody would ask, well, where's Harold? And he'd usually be just sleeping it off somewhere. Yeah. You know, he just couldn't handle it at all. Yeah. A few drinks and he was good. And my mom, I guess because she was taking care of us, she never drank very much mm. at all. Um, but my extended family, definitely. There's uncles. To this day, I cannot tell if they are drunk or sober because they're always sort of drunk that, that way. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just don't know them to be any other way. Yeah. I could not tell you. He might like he. One in particular could have drank a, a case of beer, and I would have no idea. Mm-hmm. But that's just just the way they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that'd be really hard to judge, like what to do if you couldn't tell, like whether somebody was drinking or not. Like, because right. as kids, we kind of grow up and we we realize who to be afraid of. Yeah. Right. Even in our family. Yeah. Yeah, because there was a couple of uncles like that. Once they got a couple of drinks in them, I was like, out, right, yeah, and out. and for sure there was a couple of those, yeah. and they were really big dudes and pretty mm-hmm. scary, but um, for the most part, manageable. Yeah, <laughs> not too like a, we. There's a word tangly. We say not too tangly. Not too tangly when they're drunk. They weren't too tangly. So they didn't like to tangle. It sort of means like not being a nuisance, like oh okay, just they were kind of you could you could manage them, you could kind of tell them you need to go sleep it off. Yeah, tangly is when you just like they're just like a youngster, you can't even talk to them. Yeah. You know, they're just like going off somewhere and causing shit, and mm-hmm. you know maybe they'll take the car and they're just tangly. You can't handle them. Yeah, that's what tangly. Tangly, okay. Tangly. So is that yeah. a Newfoundland? Yes. Okay. A, a Newfoundland term. We have many of them. Yeah, I hope probably to learn more than one. Come up in the course of the conversation, <laughs> I imagine. Yeah, there's quite a few. I'm a teacher, and oftentimes my my students will say things like, "Miss, uh, count to four. I'll go one, two, three, four. <laughs> it's three, not tree. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're so funny. Yeah, you're right. like you failed. Yep. <laughs> yeah, but they do. They start, and they've started picking up on the the lingo a little bit. So I'll meet them in the hall, and one will say like. What are you at, miss? Which <laughs> is so How cute. How old are the kids you teach? They're uh, high school students. High now. school students? Yeah. That is, that's even cuter that they're older. Yeah, they're yeah. adorable. Yeah, I work with a great bunch of kids cool. for sure. Yep. Yep. A lot like me when I was uh, a teenager. Oh, sure. so fabulous and out of trouble? And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, just like that. <laughs> I know this is what I do when he comes close to you. I stop talking. Because I don't know what he's doing. Yeah. I feel like he's going to come over and reprimand me, <laughs> so I just stop. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, getting to some of my story, I guess, when you talk about, um, you know, relatives to trust, I mean, part of my story is being a survivor, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I guess we could, you know, kind of start there, even though it's, it's not a pleasant place to start, but it's it's the reality of, yeah. of how things were. Um by the time I, I had my first drink, I guess, I, as a kid, though things were good, I mean, mm-hmm. I still, like most kids, I suppose, feel kind of out of place mm-hmm. when you're, you know, approaching adolescence. You kind of, where do I fit? And um, Well, it just starts feeling really weird. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, there's that element for all of us. But I think most alcoholics... Um, relate to that really that sense of not fitting and mm. um and then i mean i di- wasn't really aware of what had happened until i got a little older like i didn't really understand it and so approaching adolescence there was that new awareness of what had happened mm. between a family member and i um 
And also my, my sister had the same experience. Mm. And, and my sister had told me about what had happened to her and I didn't disclose to her because mm. I was afraid to. Yeah. Um, I was afraid we would get in trouble. I was afraid that it was my fault. Mm. And that good, you know, Irish Catholic sort of strict upbringing was that that was wrong and there's something wrong with you. Mm. And, you know, I really, even at a young age, felt very shameful and responsible mm. for what had happened. Um, oh, it's such a tragedy. Travity, eh? Tra I can't even say the word. It's such a tragedy is what it is. Yeah. To take responsibility for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, and I felt like I also left her in a lurch, right? Because mm. she'd disclosed to me. Yeah. And, and the only thing in my head was at the time was like, how can you, how can you tell? Like, we'll get in so much trouble. Like, so, um, so then coming into adolescence and of course just feeling all awkward and having that in my mind and also being a, I don't know if you guys know this, but red hair and freckles are not popular as a kid. Just teased mercilessly, right? Like, Which is weird because now you're celebrated. Yeah. Like as soon as you Thank hit God. Like, like if I had known that teenagers were going to tattoo freckles on their face, do you know that they do this? <laughs> I have, I have kids in my classes really? who put like use makeup to put freckles on their face. I had no idea if I'd known this, it would have been a totally different life. Totally, right? <laughs> you were psychic and could see the future. Yeah, but I I at that age, so by the time I got to take my first drink, I mean I take lots of sips and stuff and steal mm -hmm. wine at <clears> weddings <throat> and whatever. But the first time I actually got to have a proper drink uh, was at age yeah fourteen, mm -hmm. um, and so. To me, it was, it was amazing. Mm. It was like I, I can't believe something exists that takes this feeling away, that takes this disease away, and um, you know, you just got that warm, cuddly baby feeling. Um, it's like, wow, why don't people do this all the time? Mm. Um, and I, I just assumed people felt as crappy, mm. and that alcohol this had this effect on everybody. Yeah. So it was like, why doesn't everybody do this? And um, so I was in love. I, I thought it was wonderful. Um, I just felt sort of confident for the first time, felt like I could talk to anybody, be social, you know, felt attractive. Um, and I sought out that feeling from then on, you know, I'd save up my lunch money, uh, <laughs> <laughs> save up my lunch money throughout the week so I could get like, at that time you get like half a half case, right? Or um oh, half, half, a, half. half a flask oh i understand that this is these are newfoundland terms too mm. somebody just told me this recently that nobody refers to a, a half dozen beers a half case here you but just call it 12 yeah we yeah okay so we call it half case <laughs> so <laughs> anyway so what i just we i did 12 pack or something so yeah so we call it a half case like a full <laughs> case is 12 and anyway uh <laughs> see for but for us a full case was 24 no, for, we got a case of beer at 24, and if you got a half case, it was a dozen. Oh, really? Yeah, but I'm from California. That's where I started. Oh, okay. I, I don't oh, know right. if, if it was them, that, us that called. Did we ever call it that? No, we just call it a case, I think. Okay. Yeah. And I if you didn't bring a case when you said you were bringing a case, we would fuck you up. For sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah you don't bring six beers when you say you're bringing 12. No, that's no. not right. No. Or 12 when you say you're bringing 24. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the derailment. I'm still 14 at the time, so yeah. 24 was yeah, it was kind of it was a lot. That'd be a lot. Um, 
Yeah, so that's what I did. I mean, it was funny coming to AA. People would talk about the things they lost because I came to AA pretty young. It didn't take mm-hmm. long for that to progress, which I'll get to. But people <laughs> would talk about, you know, losing houses and stuff. I'm like, I lost my lunch money, right? Like that was because you were 16. Because I was, yeah, I was 14 at the time, right? Like, yeah. yeah, so you're 14, yeah. Yeah, financially, it wasn't a big strain. Uh, <laughs> I lost my lunch money. Um, yeah, so it's it really got a hold of me pretty quick like i i i thought about it all the time i couldn't wait for the weekends it was um you know i just thought it was wonderful and pretty soon it became apparent um that i was a blackout drinker Mm -hmm. um i would wake up on the saturday sunday mornings and not remembering what had occurred and get you know the phone call because we didn't text them (laughs) get the phone call from a friend about what happened the night before and just just being mortified Mm. um you know mortified about what had happened and how i behaved and and starting to sort of you know get in trouble at home and and all that good stuff that comes Mm. with it and um but but not enough to make me stop right if anything it just kind of made me want it more because i felt Mm. so shitty which is that cyclical sort of yeah pattern of alcoholism hey um and it just it really took away those that those feelings of shame that i carried you know i didn't have to think about that i didn't have to think about how nervous and anxious and afraid i was all the time and um so (laughs) how i ended up coming to aa was um my parents they my brother played hockey pretty regularly and um, my parents went out of town on a tournament with him, and I was left alone and, and was drinking with my older cousins who were, like, in their 20s. So I'm, like, mm-hmm. 15 at the time. Um, and so drinking pretty heavy for the whole weekend. And through the jigs and reels of it, I ended up accidentally stealing a car. Accidentally? Yeah. Nice. Accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, like... I want to hear about this accident. It was totally an accident. <laughs> if I wasn't drunk, I wouldn't have stole it, right? It's totally And you an didn't accident. get drunk on purpose, so it must have been an accident. It was an accident. Yeah. I accidentally stole this car. Um, so, I was drinking with my older cousins, and I they actually had me drive the car at some points. Um, but they were going to this adult dance, which, of course, I couldn't go into. I tried. <laughs> Um, got laughed out of it. And anyway, he said, well, you can just sit in the car. You know, there's a half case here and you will just, you know, chill out here. So they go inside and I'm just sitting there drinking a beer thinking, well, maybe I'll just go for a little run. Just go visit my friend. And so I took the car not thinking anything. (laughs) Right. Nicely done. Nicely done. So I go to the neighboring town in this car and um i mean it's it's a it's a bit of a gray out not a full blackout you Mm -hmm. can remember pieces of it um so i i put the car off the road i get picked up and these people bring me back home by that time my parents have returned and uh they've been looking for me so this is i mean pretty late in the pretty late in the night and i get home and I'm, I guess they put me to bed and then like two in the morning, there's this bang, bang on the door and it's the cops and they're wanting to take me for a breathalyzer. 
and your daughter, you know, this car was reported as stolen. She needs, we need to take her. So my uh, wonderful father um, had to take his 15-year-old daughter to another town to the police station to have a breathalyzer. Um, And he, I mean, afterwards, what he told me what scared him the most was that after I blew, I think it was 1.7, because mm-hmm. it's 0.8 is the legal, so yeah. I blew 1.7, so I'm over t- twice the yeah. legal limit. He said what scared him the most was that I was still, like, totally... Um, coherent. Coherent and walked fine, and he said that scared the shit out of him, mm-hmm. that I had that much alcohol in my system. and um, Could function so well. And eh? could function so well, yeah. and... And so <laughs> after that night, um, I mean, my parents and I had had lots of disagreements about my drinking and um, like, well, obviously came to a head. And um, that the morning after, it was basically a big intervention. Like my almost my entire family was there. I have a huge oh, wow. family, like yeah. lots of my grandma, my aunts and uncles, cousins, like when anything goes wrong, like this is one of the wonderful things about growing up in a small town in Newfoundland and just the way people are is we're very much community minded and mm-hmm. everybody sort of gathers around and uh, looks after each other. And so everybody was there and, and they were just, it wasn't, an, they weren't angry. They were just like, they were so concerned. Yeah. And, um, and by that time, I am too, because I don't know how this happens. Yeah. I don't know why I I can't manage this and I can't mm-hmm. shut it off and I need this so much. And so I'm starting to become apparent, aware that, you know, this is a problem. And and um, and um just the, the heartbreak on my parents' mm-hmm. face. Like, by this, like, I'm a pretty good kid. Like, I'm a great student. I'm a straight-A student. I volunteer for, you know, tutoring. I... I Seeing the church choir, mm-hmm. um, that as soon as alcohol is in my system, I'm a completely different person, and yeah. I can't predict what's going to happen. And that at 15 years old, which is insane. Yeah. As a teacher now, I look at a 15 year old, and I'm like, oh my god, you're a baby! Like mm-hmm. you are, you are just a child. Yeah. And uh, to be going through that sort of mental anguish at that age is now, I just I I can't even imagine it. It's kind of crazy when you think yeah. about it. Um, so they took me to counselors and, and stuff. And I'm still at this point, I don't want to talk about anything. Like we're Newfoundlanders are very much, we're strong and we, you know, you just, you you don't be a pussy, you know, Mm -hmm. and don't complain and we don't talk about our feelings and we're, you know, um, and so I'm still very much of that mindset and, um, and, and so that's, it's not really working, <laughs> mm. right? And even um, so things came to a real head when, you know, despite all these things happening, I end up getting drunk again. Mm-hmm. And they have to send out a search party for me because I, I passed out. Um, I drank so much that I passed out and blacked out in a field near my house. Mm-hmm. And they had to send out a search party to find me. Wow. Um, so... After that, I had a couple of aunts whose husbands were in the program, and they told my parents to bring me to AA, and uh, I I agreed. By this time, I was just – I felt like I was in so much trouble, and I caused so much grief that 
I would do anything to to please them like whatever they wanted like sure okay I'll go yeah okay um and so my the nearest a meeting there was one in my town but of course we're not fucking going there because <laughs> everybody will know like yeah. everybody didn't know already um so, they would have been shocked to see you there Dana oh a 15 year old yeah um so anyway the, we went to the city which is a couple at St. John's which is a couple hours away um, and they took me to, um, my first AA meeting and I, I remember, see, I'm such an alcoholic. Hey, even at that age when in mm-hmm. preparation for this meeting, cause in my mind, I'm like, holy fuck, I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous, like, mm-hmm. like alcoholics. And so my, my idea of an alcoholic, like I know there's drunks in my town. They're the guys that beat their wives. Mm-hmm. They're the guys that... Um, drink and drive they're the aggressive types or they're the bums on the street with mm. the paper bag that i see on television like i can't be an alcoholic i am mm. not that bad right like i really thought that um you know that's sort of like the derelicts of society mm. and i am not that i am a good girl <laughs> so <laughs> I, it's plain to see as well right yes i know <laughs> um so i uh I wore this like periwinkle blue shirt and put my hair in a French braid and wore like little pearl earrings. So when I went in, they'd see that, oh, you don't belong here, right? She's clearly, she doesn't mm. belong here. You guys should just go home, <laughs> right? Like even at that age, I'm so <laughs> manipulative. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I they bring me to this meeting and uh, I don't remember like much, like a lot of people will say they don't remember much about what was said, but definitely how you felt right like i when people started talking i something in me just welled up and i could i could relate to how they the feelings right like of course they talked about you know the things they lost and the wives and the and like i lost my lunch money yeah <laughs> right but i i could relate to the losing all sense of self-respect or self-worth and the trust of the people who loved me and mm-hmm. Um, and, and just a shame. And, uh, so I, I just, I felt a sense of belonging and it really, um, it, it really appealed to me. And especially when they talked about the, the disease, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, that it doesn't really matter, um, how much you drank or how old you are. It's just, it, what, it's what it does to you. And, and also, you know, up until then, I thought it was about my character. I thought it was about mm. character, and it's it's not. It's you know, I I for whatever reason, I mean, probably because I'm pretty Irish. <laughs> Nature nurture, right? Um, a lot of factors sped it sped up the process, I think. But biologically, I was predisposed to this illness, mm. and um, and I understood that, and it's just like okay, um, all right. I'll I'll give this a, a shot, and I I was just wanted to I really like I adored especially my my father my mm-hmm. my father um, was meant everything to me uh, like my mother and I there was stuff especially with this this um, abuse that happened um, I had I had some resentment towards her mm-hmm. about that and. Uh, you know, my father, I, I just, I, I looked to him 
for that unconditional love that I didn't always feel from her. Mm. You know, as an adult, I can understand it a lot differently, but at the time it just felt like um, that there wasn't an attachment, you know? Mm. Um, so I really felt like I, I needed to do this for him. Um, and for, for me, like I mm. felt like this isn't who you are, you know? You're, you're better than this. Um, so I was, I was kind of compelled to keep going and, and I did. And, um, I actually started to go to meetings in my hometown, Oh wow! which is so funny. Um, so yeah, it was completely bizarre for Mm -hmm. them. And years later they would talk to me about this, but you were 16, right? I was 16 at the time. This was in 1994 was my sober date. It was boxing day 1994 Mm. so i was 16 years old my first go i mean this is i don't know how we're going to talk about this whole story it's a long story lots of time all right okay if you guys are good with it i'm in okay yeah darcy (laughs) looks like he's in all right he's ordering pizza okay awesome that's great (laughs) um (laughs) so yeah i i started going to the, the meeting in my hometown like i i just my but actually, before that, though, I should say, when I talk about my father and how important he was, I didn't. And it, originally, I wouldn't go. Like, I, I just was – I just didn't think I could do it, you know, in my hometown. Like, that idea of everybody will know. When really, like, the incident of me stealing the car was in the freaking paper. Like, yeah. <laughs> like nobody knew, right? Like, I mean, yeah. this is small-town Newfoundland. Everybody knows everybody's business. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so – my father, God, he was so sweet. He would, so we lived two hours away from the city. And on Monday night, he would drive me after school two hours to go to an AA meeting. Mm. And he would go to the al meeting. Oh. And my mom would go sometimes too, but yeah. um, my dad primarily would would drive two hours, you know, every Monday night to this meeting and then two hours back home and get me off for school the next day. So that That's went on pretty for, awesome. It is pretty awesome. Wow. He's a wonderful man. Um, yeah, he's a big part of my story. Mm-hmm. Um, he still helps me, which yeah. is kind of crazy. Um, he's passed mm-hmm. quite a long time now. It's almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years this year. But he still intervenes. It's mm-hmm. kind of nuts. Um, oh, they're never gone. Yeah, it's amazing, really. It's a big part of how I um, came back to the rooms years mm-hmm. later. <laughs> So it, then I started going in my hometown, and 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 so that just happened regularly. And and I finished up, I mean, moving forward, I I I stayed sober for um, two and a half years. So sixteen up until I'm nineteen, I go, went to meetings in my this little town in Newfoundland. And so there's probably at that time two other women, and all the rest are like it's like twelve angry men, right? You know, the movie 12 Angry Men. So that's pretty much what it's like. It's it's all these old dudes. God, um, be, that would have been so daunting. Yeah, I guess. I wasn't a girl like at that age, but even as a dude, I... But they were, honestly, they were so kind to me. Mm-hmm. And they were so good about trying to really, like, they didn't really, like, openly, they didn't talk about, like, really get into the steps. They talked lots about the slogans and topics and... um but they would really try to explain things to me in a way that made sense. I mean, years later, they would say, like, Dana, we had no idea what we were doing. Like, <laughs> you were the 16-year-old girl. Nobody wanted to, like, touch you. But 
Um, they were so sweet. Like they would say things like, you know, the old adage, you know, Dana, once a cucumber becomes a pickle, <laughs> it'll never be a cucumber again. And you, my friend, are a pickle, right? <laughs> right? Like that's how they explained the first step yeah. to me, right? Like that I can't go back. Once you cross the line, you're an alcoholic and stuff. That's a so pretty good description. They, oh, they were so good, yeah. right? They were so good and they were so um, – they were just so – they really encouraged me and every little milestone, like your three-month chip and your six-month, like it was mm. such a – like it felt like the Academy Awards. Like it was – they were just so proud. I was like their AA baby. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, so I'm I'm not drinking. I'm sober. It's great. I have this cute little boyfriend mm -hmm. who smokes a lot of pot. And so I thought that I'm not drinking, so mm -hmm. I will also – try this and so i did i smoked a lot of weed and i thought that was great because it i felt like super spiritual and and that was part of the program right step 11 i thought that was very meditative and you know i'm like i'm a kid what do i know right so anyway so that went on for a couple of years i go off to university and then things change right because mm -hmm. by now um you know i'm away from that sort of safety net of my family and i am smoking a lot of weed right um, because I've still not done any real steps. Like I'm physically sober, you know, I'm kind of staying sober in fellowship and meetings, which you can do for, some people can do for a long time. Absolutely. Um, and I go off to university and I'm kind of slacking on the meetings. Um, you know, the sort of resurgence of the ego takes place. Like I love that term that Bob mm -hmm. D always talks about. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of back in that mind frame again. Like there's not a whole lot of God happening here. Um, this is kind of just Dana doing her thing. And, um, so eventually my parents, uh, get on to what's happening and they, <laughs> like good overprotective parents of an alcoholic child, immediately think, well, that's it. You have to go to rehab, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm like, fuck. You know, like I really thought I had this thing conquered. I'd stop drinking, I'd, you know, smoking weed and things are good. Life is okay. Um, I, meanwhile, I'm like not passing any university courses. I might have dropped most of them and I, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Slowly made your life pretty simple. Yeah, <laughs> really simple. Yeah. Um. And so they sent me off to Humberwood, which is this 28-day program in Cornerbrook. And I think, yeah, this will be a great little vacation. I'll just get away, regroup, whatever. Mm -hmm. But before I go, you know, if I'm going to go to rehab, I might as well do it up real good. And so I drink, having been sober for two and a bit years mm -hmm. at that age. And so... So I drink before I go to rehab. And so rehab's a joke. I meet this lovely ex-con and we have this torrid affair, which you normally do at rehab, right? Like you, you hook up. That's and what I hear. You hook up, you, yeah. you know, and um, and we had this lovely little affair in the summer in Cornerbrook. And um, the night I got out, I a bunch of us rented a hotel room and got a few boxes of beer and... And off to the races again, right? And so I just, you know, as far as my parents were concerned, I'm fine, I'm sober, everything's okay. Um, 
course it's not. I'm just hiding it or trying to hide it. Um, and so that's, oh gosh, 90, 90, around 97, 98. Mm -hmm. And then I come back and I, you know, try my best to make my way through university and pretend like everything's fine. But I mean, by this time, um, because of the progressive nature of the illness, I'm drinking whenever I can mm -hmm. and more. And, you know, I'm in a city going to bars, being in more dangerous situations, um, you know, being, yeah, in some pretty risky spots. And so re-experiencing some of the trauma that occurred when I was a child. Mm -hmm. And um, also then immense amounts of shame because I think that I'm allowing this to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and in that time, my... My father is diagnosed with cancer. Um, it's, it's a rare type of cancer in his in his sinus, and um, and so I I continue. He's he's going through treatments, and um, I continue to drink because in my mind, there's there's no way that something something can happen to him. Like I don't think that that's you know he's going to be fine. It's yeah. going to be all right. Um, but he's not right and um and so um even like the week of leading up to his passing uh, like a doctor had to sit and just really just kind of break that big wall of denial and say like he's he's going you know like he's we're preparing for him to and so he passed in september of 99 and uh, yeah um and so i couldn't stay drunk enough mm -hmm. you know and I just felt like I failed him so much, and uh, and so that that time was was pretty bad, you know. It was, um, you know, um, com combined with the like I felt like an orphan, right? Mm. Because I felt like that was the only person that really had my back, and he was gone. Um, so that combined with like all all the other stuff and. Um, you throw on some, you know, depression there and the alcohol use, like it's, it's just a, it's a mess and, uh, it's just a mess for a long time. It's a bad time. Um, I feel like this is taking a long time to tell this. You're doing fine. Okay. I yeah. feel like we're going to be here forever. It's okay. Okay. Dan, you don't have to worry about nothing. We are just attentive is what we are. Okay. Yeah. Do you, I just feel like maybe you should speed it up. <laughs> I, no? won't, I won't do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can talk faster if you want. That's up to you. No, I just feel like, should I get to like recovery now? Or like, this is, I'm in 1999. Yeah. <laughs> but this is recovery. Okay. Recovery doesn't just, I, I don't think recovery starts just when we never, don't pick up again. Okay. Will yeah. I just start, keep talking or do you want to yeah. ask me some no, questions? No, keep going. Or, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm attentive. I'm all ears. Okay. So. All right. Um. Um. Yeah, so it was it was bad. It was it was um it was I'm and I'm you know so full of guilt and and shame and and I use that as that's how I punish myself, right? Mm -hmm. That's my motivator to do anything in university. I can't I, like I was <laughs> this is nuts. I'm <laughs> in the education faculty studying yeah. to be a teacher. 
with this craziness going on in my mm -hmm. head, right? And I'm shaming myself into being productive. I'm sh like, I would, you know, you'd have these big benders and the Sunday morning mm -hmm. is when you would like chastise yourself and you're never doing that again. And you got to buckle down. And, and that's what I would do. And oh, I would I just fucking like, hated Sunday morning. Sorry. <sighs> fucking hated them. Yeah. And you just, you would just yeah. like be, you just really, um, you know, be brutal with yourself, just ruthless. Like you got to get your shit together. Yeah. And that's how I made it through a lot of those courses was just really, you know, and so there's only so long you can function that way. Um, you know, and I would try, I would try to see counselors and, you know, take antidepressants while I'm drinking a depressant. Like it just doesn't fucking work. Um, and there's just this one morning and it wasn't any different from any other morning after you know i'm just full of self-loathing and i'm you know you got that coyote ugly like who the fuck is this <laughs> right like who is this i'm gonna chew my arm off to get mm. out of here um <laughs> and um yeah so i don't you know i go to the bathroom i look in the mirror at like barely you know just and then You know, people talk about the still small voice, right? And so I don't know for whatever reason, um, something just said to me, and it was in my own voice. It's not like I heard a voice, but it's just like your life is worth more than this. Mm -hmm. And that's that was not my thought, you know, because I I didn't I didn't really believe that. Mm -hmm. But something put like was like your life is more than this, and you know, I can say it was my my dad or God or whatever trying to intervene, but something sort of just spoke to me like got through that sort of mm. busyness and that craziness in my head um and i said i just i can't live like this like i can't do this to him i can't do this to his memory mm. and and so i um i started i started going back to some meetings um not really knowing if i really wanted to give this thing up but i'm just i'm gonna feel it out and see how it is and because mm -hmm. i i don't know what else to do um and, and also like just i'm just so full of grief right i just mm -hmm. miss him so much and i'm not dealing with any of that either um so i i go back to the rooms and uh for whatever reason i i just keep going you know i just keep going mm -hmm. and um and i get sober again and so um I'm 20, 22, 22. Yeah. 22 by that time. Mm -hmm. So I had a, been drinking for three years and then I'm, I'm back in AA. So I went to 22 and, and I'm, uh, I'm pretty, uh, resistant to the steps. I'm pretty resistant to God. Mm -hmm. Um, because, uh, by this time, my relationship with God is, is pretty fractured, right? Like growing mm -hmm. up with the Irish Catholic sort of Santa Claus God mm -hmm. of, you know, I'll take a list of what you do good and what you do bad, and then I'll make out my judgment and from mm -hmm. here, right? And so that was my idea of, and so, and he took my dad, you know? So like, fuck him. Mm -hmm. I don't want anything to do with this. And um, nobody's there for me. There's, There's, you know, whatever this God is, it's, it's not there for me. Mm. You know, it doesn't, it's not, uh, you know, it might work for all the rest of you guys, but anyway, so I, I stayed sober like I did before really on fellowship mm -hmm. and meetings and 
and um and that was just how it was and i and i miraculously finished an education degree mm-hmm. at memorial university nicely done <laughs> um in, it's more of an accomplishment when you're drunk all the time, right? just so you know. But when you get sober, holy shit, like I had A's in most of my classes. It was amazing what happens mm-hmm. when you, you know, are coherent enough to <laughs> write a paper. And, <laughs> um, but I, I ended up doing like, really well and um, scared shitless because I still at this point, I'm like, I needed to pick something. And I was like, okay, I like kids. I want to help people. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to do this education degree, not really knowing what to do. <laughs> If if I'm going to be good at this, am I going to really like this? I don't know. And so I I graduate with this education degree. I, um, I'm working in my hometown teaching grade six, the same school I went to, same principal, some of the same teachers. And now I'm walking into the staff room. Mm. So bizarre. Um, so really bizarre. It's so bizarre. So I'm there and I'm teaching grade six. And, uh, and I'm sober, but I... I've not done any steps. I got no God, right? I am pretty nuts, right? I'm pretty, pretty nuts. Um, You know, there's no real, you know, I'm still full of resentment. I'm still full of all this undealt with trauma, um, um, unfelt grief. You know, I'm just pretty numb about a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. still. Everything is still sort of bubbling under the surface. Um. And so while I'm I'm teaching in in my hometown, I'm home that year. I I had four really good friends that I grew up with. Two were my cousins, and then the other two were also cousins. Um and so there's this group of us. There is myself and Elaine, who's my first cousin, who's still like my sister today, and Marsha and Krista. And so these girls were also, you know, going to university and stuff. And Krista was at university and she graduated with uh, double honors in organic chemistry. Wow. I know. She so was she's smart. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah unbelievable. Uh, smart, funny, kind, just this wonderful girl. And uh, throughout all my drinking, throughout all that stuff, um, those four girls were always – there for me even though I, I would go off and do my thing they were pretty like you know s- straight laced you know they weren't like you know super big drinkers or you know when they got into university they drank a bit more and whatever but throughout our adolescence they were pretty good and so they they were always they were always there for me they they never sort of shunned me when a lot of people did right um never made me feel bad about you know getting sober and having to go to aa and uh we're just kind of always proud right and and so krista graduated from organic chemistry and and i um i happened to be i think i was teaching the next day or and i she had come home because the convocation was in st john's she'd come back to to to, uh, our town and and i said well i hope maybe i'll see you later and i think i just I fell asleep and her and her aunt um, went for a walk to, you know, to an, a neighbor's house. And uh, she was she was struck by an, an ATV. So he didn't have his lights on. Um, he refused the breathalyzer 
Um, I suspect he was drunk. Mm. Um, and so she died oh, um, on the day she uh, convocated. And so oh we were uh, we were devastated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, why, why her? Like of all, like just this one beautiful, vibrant, smart, like if anybody could do anything to make a change in this world, it would be someone like Krista, right? Um, so I am, I am so fucking angry with God. I'm so done. And, um, and it's just awful because this all happens within this small town where everybody knows each other and, um, and then he, of course, is up on charges um, by the crown, and 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 then his family is blaming her family, and he's it's just a it's a gong show, mm-hmm. and uh, so we go through that whole court process with her family, and um, I think he got three months less a day or something. So so you would get you'd probably get more for like killing a moose out of season than. For killing somebody. Definitely um, would. Yep. Um, so we're like collectively, myself and my friends, just, it's either. Sorry, my mic stand has erectile dysfunction. Oh. It's obvious that it's my it's mic stand. It's got some stand, performance so anxiety. Yeah, it's okay. It's just got performance That's anxiety. That's all right. It's okay. Um, <laughs> it happens. It happens to everybody. It's okay. That's what they say when it happens to you, but it doesn't happen to everybody. It happens to just everybody. me. <laughs> <laughs> never happened before um so we um it's either i am going to commit homicide mm-hmm. or be in a mental and so we have friends that live in calgary and uh so we decide uh i just called marcia and it's like how would you feel about going to calgary and she's like yeah, okay i'm like not for a visit i mean you know to live because um, I'm, I've got my degree. I'm, you know, ready to go off, find a job. And she's like, "Yep, yeah, let's go." So we did that. So um, that was 14 years ago. I moved mm-hmm. to Calgary. I'm four years sober, and and I am crazier than the day I came in mm-hmm. because it's four. I'm four years um, dry, but mm-hmm. with untreated alcoholism. So what year did you come in? Come to Calgary, yeah. 2004. 2004, and I'm and I'm four years four years sober, yeah. and. Uh, <laughs> so I I go to um initially, you know, I don't go to any meetings. Initially mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm in a new city. This is kind of cool. And we're staying with this friend of ours and um who I've known forever. It's actually Krista's brother. Um, the girl, my friend who died, and mm-hmm. that's her brother. And so we stay with his nickname Sparky. So we stay with Sparky. Sparky. So, Sparky, yeah. Um, yeah, Sparky's not allowed to talk to me anymore. He's got a girlfriend. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's another whole story. I'm sorry to hear that, Sparky. Yeah, it's too bad for Sparky. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, so we stay with Sparky, and uh, nobody knows me here. I'm like, oh my gosh, like maybe I could, uh, maybe I could get a bottle of wine, you know, experiment. And mm. and luckily, like this, my friend Marsha's with me, and she's like, you're out of your fucking mind. Mm. There's no way that's happening. So I call um, central office. I'm like, you get where? Where do I go? I'm new here. So they say there's this me. The ladies meeting at the Garnet Block. Oh God! And so uh, like, okay, like I don't know nothing. I live in Bonus. We're staying with Sparky in Bonus. And I take the number one down to Kensington. 
to find the garnet block. And I sit and I go to this, um, the, the door's not open. Nobody came to open the meeting. There's a few ladies hanging out in the parking lot. And uh, so I'm just kind of chatting with who the people that are there. And, and this girl kind of perks up and she's like, she turns around, she goes, what part of Newfoundland are you from, girl? <laughs> so this is this is my new sponsor, mm-hmm. who's also from Newfoundland, mm-hmm. right? Um, she just picked up in that accent right away, and she she was from Cormac originally, which is a really small town on the west side of Newfoundland. And so her name is Michelle, and we are still very very good friends to this day. Um, so she was this. We're the same age, both from Newfoundland. She was sober around the same amount of time, but she'd done the steps. And we become really fast friends, and uh, and so she, uh, you know, I just, I just kind of, we got to know each other and started to go to meetings together. And I, I eventually started to really, this was the first woman in AA I really started to trust was mm-hmm. Michelle, and um, and so started to get into some of that step work and some of that grief and grief, and uh, you know, I, it was for like. Yeah, for almost, my dad was gone almost, really almost four or five years before mm-hmm. I really let myself experience the loss. You know, I think, well, I'm just trying to survive, yeah. really. Um, but she she was just an angel. Like, there's, like, and there's, there's circumstances like that throughout my whole story mm-hmm. where there's just, at the right moment, somebody's there. And that's my experience of how God's always worked yeah. right through those people. And she's been one of them. Um, and she just, she just helped me go through the, my first set of steps, which was, you know, pretty messy and mm-hmm. just, just a lot of, just a purge of stuff, but enough to kind of get rid of some of that garbage. Yeah. She kind of get some of that out of there and, uh, and move forward and just feel a little bit of freedom. And, uh, Get a, a little, a little more well, <laughs> mm-hmm. little <laughs> you know, and which I think is pretty normal. Like when we hit that five year mark, I think there's a big shift that happens, and it was mm-hmm. right around that time and that five year mark. And uh, I'm sorry, can we take a quick break? I think I need. All right, so I I did some work with Michelle, got through some of that garbage, and um, so I, I'm about I guess into my like five yeah yeah after like five years sober mm-hmm. that was kind of a big milestone for me. It was like a turning point, and things started to make a little more sense. And um, I'm still I'm just. I'm getting a little more comfortable with mm-hmm. this God idea, but still the default is pretty much this punishing type mm-hmm. um, Santa Claus God, which Mich- Michelle, man, Michelle, if anybody knows Michelle, and a lot of women do because mm-hmm. she's one of those women that if she sees a newcomer, that like she has a radar for new women and mm-hmm. she like brings them into the fold. And that's how I know most of the women that I've met in recovery yeah. is through Michelle. Like she's just... She has a gift for making people feel welcome, and uh, she's awesome. just wonderful. She's married to Doug. They're, they've been in recovery together for a long time, and they both do such good work, cool. like just amazing people. So um, she, if anybody, yeah, if you know her, you know she uses these analogies, and she has a th- really thick, distinct Newfoundland accent. Like she sounds like she just got off the boat. <laughs> um 
and she swears like a trucker. Like she's, um, I love her so much. Um, so she would, she would try to work on me with this God thing, right? She was like, it's like you got these two cars in the garage. You got this old beater that there's rusted out and there's holes in the floor and it's, it's just barely getting you from A to B. And then you got this Cadillac with all the bells and whistles and leather interior and heated seats and, and every day you get up and you keep getting in that fucking beater, Dana. Like when you have this beautiful new car. And she would always be like, yeah. well, you keep going back to that old thing that's, you know. And and I would I would try hard. I would really. But it was, I guess part of it's my maturity too though. Because I'm like, by that time, what am I, 26, mm. 27? You know, I'm just, you know, starting to get rid of some of this shame that's on me and trying to get my bearings a bit and and so I'm I am you know I'm trying to do the work I'm staying sober with you know trying to do some of these steps um I heard a speaker say it this week instead of living in the sunlight of the spirit I was like the spotlight of the spirit Mm. I would get like a, a jab of it get filled up and be like okay okay but it's a bit too scary I'm not really going there I was still like really struggling with and for a lot of those years, so I, I will get to it, but, you know, I stayed sober for a time and, and relapsed again in sobriety. But for a lot of those years, um, really felt like um, I was just not worthy of whatever this. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just giggling at David playing with his mic. Um, I know, because it just won't stay up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Darcy, for setting my mic straight. Thanks, Darcy. Well, not straight, but (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Anywho. Anywho. Back to worthiness. Yes, please. (laughs) So I was was really struggling with this, the worthiness piece, right? And and still a lot of the time feeling like I had to merit God's favor somehow. Mm. Still had that sort of, that... You know, deep, that old Irish Catholic sort of thinking. Yeah, that in order to be good enough, you got to do good Yeah, enough. I have yeah. to sort of, you know, and that's how I, I behaved in sobriety was, um, you know, what I know now is that, what I understand about God now is that God wants to be in a relationship with me, wants mm-hmm. to be in relationship with me. And when you're like, you know, that phrase, if you're helping people and expecting something in return, you're doing business. Mm-hmm. That's not kindness. It's yeah. And that's how I treated it. It was like a business relationship. If I do this, will you give me this? Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm getting up there in sobriety, and I'm and uh, kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm still feeling, where's mine? Mm-hmm. Where's mine? And, and so I get to about eight years sober, and um, – I start doing another set of steps with Michelle and some more, you know, you peel off some more mm-hmm. layers of the onion and starting to get a little deeper and get release some of this old stuff and and start to, you know, open myself up to the idea that maybe I'm not actually a piece of shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You know, and maybe I am deserving of some good things here. And it's funny when that happens and, and you start trusting God and some good stuff comes into your life, right? And so I'm eight years sober, and I and I start this dream job suddenly, mm-hmm. and 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 things are going really well. I start this really good job, and and then I meet this great guy, and um, and relationships have always been a struggle, right? Like I usually, you know, I meet somebody, 
we see each other for two or three months and I'm like, okay, it's this is about time now you're going to start to know who I really am. So mm-hmm. we're going to shut this down, right? Like nothing lasts more than that. So I'm- That sounds familiar, just so you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Three months was really really, the cap. Yeah, it was like the three-month limit, right? That's a long long relationship. For sure it is. Yeah. Yeah, for an alcoholic, right? Yeah, Um, for anyone really. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, (laughs) So I I meet this guy, and he's in recovery as well, and um, cute as a button. And so I think, oh, wow, like he's my my sponsor's husband's sponsee. Mm. So It can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. There's nope. no way this can go wrong. Nope. <laughs> so, uh, so this is around eight, eight years sober, and and I'm, I'm like, wow, like this, this, this might be the guy. Like, you know, this whole, you know, getting the white picket fence and the, what is it, two point five kids or whatever the stat. I don't know what it is, but you know, like this might be the whole, you know, dream, and I'm gonna settle down, and I'm getting mine, right? Mm-hmm. Getting it. And uh, <laughs> so initially, um, he wants to move in right away in typical AA fashion, right? How do you know an AA is in, rela- in a relationship? Well, there's a U-Haul outside, you know, that'll- They're either coming or going. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, I love the other one um, about AA relationships. The odds are good, but the goods are odd. Yeah. That one. I love that one too. <laughs> um, so anyway- um, we move in together way too fast. Mm. Initially, I say no, like I think that's, too, you know, and then Marsha, who I've moved here with, decides to move back to Newfoundland. Mm. Um, and so it's like, well, I can get a new place or I can just move in with the boyfriend. Mm. And so I do. And so, you know, the 12 and 12, it talks about um, how, you know, it's okay for us to be in relationships mm. together for well enough acquainted to know that. Yeah. Both of us are on pretty good spiritual fit, footing and mm-hmm. when boy meets girl on AA campus that things go awry, right? You know that in the 12 and 12 under? Yeah, like, I don't know if it's true, but I remember reading it somewhere. You, <laughs> <laughs> what a nuisance. Anyway. Wait, well, uh, how did you call it? What's a nuisance? It's uh You're tangly. You're tangly. A, tangly. Yes, I'm a bit tangly. You are a bit tangly, David. It's true. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> or not. I don't know. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I get in this relationship and of course it, it doesn't work out, right? Cause, um, we're not both in great, like I, I feel like I'm in a place in my sobriety where I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I need my partner to be sort of there too. And, and, um, it quickly becomes apparent that, um, he's not as invested in meetings, um, doesn't want me to go. It's just like I become your higher power and responsible for your happiness and then it becomes this codependent sort of gross whatever that it becomes, right? Hence why those relationships last forever. (sighs) Right. But I mean, I think, you know, we we just always make fun of these AA relationships, but I think- We make fun of them because we've done it. We've we've done it, but at the same time, you know, we're all just human. We all, you know, I think that- if we weren't in AA, we still would have been trying exactly. to have relationships. You know, yeah. and I think, you know, we, we all want to love and be loved. And, and I can I laugh guess. about it and give each other a hard time about these AA relationships. But yeah. really, in my experience, aside from parental love, mm-hmm. romantic relationships are about one of those tangible connections to God that I yeah. can have in my life. You know, that unconditional experience of loving another and that sort of self-forgetting. Like, mm-hmm. that's a beautiful thing. 
right? It's just the book talks about when those, uh, we are driven blindly by those instincts, yeah. right? Um, and so that often happens in recovery mm-hmm. um, when I don't really know myself enough to know what the fuck I want. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, my expectations are up to here. Like it, it, it takes time to figure out who you are and what you want. So neither of us were there, mm-hmm. let's say. And it, it didn't go, it didn't go well. Yeah. And I am devastated. I'm devastated. I had to move out, and uh, I and I. I mean, I loved him. I loved mm-hmm. him dearly. Um, in my understanding of love at that time, yeah, and, that doesn't make uh, it any less love, though. No, absolutely. And yeah. and so I'm devastated. I'm. This is. I'm. I'm nine years. It's nine. Year nine. I'm devastated. I. Uh, yeah. I. I move out, and uh, I'm. I'm so ashamed that mm-hmm. I couldn't make this work. Like I thought, you're such, here you go, like something else you failed at, right? Mm. Like you, um, like I had this, I put so much expectation on that relationship, right? I thought finally, like I'm going to get like my, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of the marriage and the kids and some sort of validation that I'm worth something. That's, so that's sort mm-hmm. of still my belief system about my worthiness as a woman, yeah. right? And, um. And so that not working out was, it was, it was really hard and, and I was so distraught and, uh, you know, like any loss, we feel tons of losses mm-hmm. and it was like a real grief. And, and originally I leaned in, I really leaned into the program and, um, God, I drove Michelle nuts. Oh, <laughs> poor woman. She's a saint. But, um, I kind of started to move through it. Like it took time. Like it was my first real kick at the cat when it came to really trying to, mm-hmm. to give a relationship a go yeah. in, as an adult in sobriety. Um, and so it was hard. And, uh, but I, I started to move through it and it was Christmas of, uh, the following Christmas. And there's this, I get the phone call and it's the ex. Mm. And, um, you know, I know in my head, oh, you don't want to go here, right? Yeah. But it's irresistible because yeah. I, I just, you know, I um, I want that that validation so badly mm-hmm. and I still, yeah, so he comes back into my life very briefly and it's in that, I can pinpoint the moment that things shifted for me because I made a decision where I betrayed myself mm-hmm. in that. And it was like all the shame that I had worked so hard to overcome mm-hmm. with sex and men and it all came flooding back. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, fuck, you're, you're right back to square one. You've done this again, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, using, using sex to sort of maintain a relationship. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was awful. And by this time I felt like I had, and here I'm, I'm 10 years sober at this point. Mm-hmm. So. I'm just hitting 10 years sober and I feel like I've really messed this up and I, and I've, and I've just hounded everybody in the last year or so with this relationship ending and I've just leaned on people so heavily. I just, I just can't Mm -hmm. do this with, you know, I can't, you know, keep talking about this, rehashing this over and over and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I go to meetings and I, and I'm not talking about what's really going on. And how much shame I feel and what really happened. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about what I think you want to hear because I'm yeah. 10 years sober and I think 
I'm not really supposed to be this fucked up, right? Like, yeah, it's not the truth. We think that. Yeah. We do. Like, we think I should be, like, being an example for newcomers. Yeah. I should be, you know, preaching about the steps. And, and so I did. I told you mm-hmm. what I knew, but yeah. I didn't tell you what was going on in here. Mm-hmm. And when when you guys were the one people that I could do that to, mm-hmm. you know? And now in retrospect, I mean, that's the most valuable thing to any newcomer yeah. is you showing up and being real. Because I need to know that I can still be human mm-hmm. at a- any phase of sobriety, yeah. right? Yeah. And that there's no point of arrival, which I think mm-hmm. is what there's a there's a delusion there that sometime you know I'm going I'm going to reach this point of sobriety where yeah. I'm you know I'm I'm not going to have any defects and mm-hmm. life is going to be all you know I'm going to live in this. You're going to float on a rainbow and the yeah the fourth dimension and yeah. whatever like so. Um, yeah, so I, I, I did that for time and it was, it was painful because mm-hmm. I'm not telling anybody what's going on. I'm not being honest. And I feel like I've, like I've, I've leaned on my friends way too much and I can't, like I'm just, yeah, so, but I'm still living with this grief and this hurt, mm-hmm. but that grief turns into self-pity yeah. and, uh, and I'm not talking about it. And pretty soon, meetings ain't working, Yeah. right? Because, well, I'm not talking about anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, what's the point of doing this? What am I doing here? Yeah. This is not working. What am I going to do? Go to the meeting every week and get a pat on the back and like, fuck this. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm just, at this point, I'm just so pissed at God. I'm yeah. so pissed at all of it that, uh, you know, I've been, I've, you know, here it is. I've done this for you. What more do you want from me? What more do you want from me, right? Like, ah, oh, thinking that that's how God operates. Yeah, and uh, Santa Claus, Santa Claus, God. Yeah, and um, and so I'm 32 years old, thinking, who the fuck is gonna want a 32 year old woman who doesn't drink? Um, how am I gonna meet people now? Mm. You know, like, and if I didn't like, if I just wasn't an alcoholic, this wouldn't be an issue. You know, like, yeah. and so people talk about the obsession to drink comes back. For me, it wasn't. It was the obsession with being normal. I just don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have to look at this shit. I don't want to have to talk about my defects. I don't want to have to do a fourth step. I don't want. I don't want to do this anymore. I just. I'm just want to be normal. So it's like I just decided in my mind, maybe you're not an alcoholic. You know, maybe you're fine. And it wasn't. A, it really wasn't about the drink, and it never is. Mm-hmm. Is it? It's not about the drink. Not from what I understand. No. Um. It was just, I just wanted to be normal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I went on a date with this guy who was from Newfoundland. We're good buddies now. And he knows about this now, mm. not at the time. Um, and he, uh, he was, he was a good catch. Like he was a Newfoundland boy. He was mm. an engineer. He was smart. He was attractive. And it's like, well, I can't tell him I'm an alcoholic. Mm. You know, how the fuck can I do that? Who's, you know, like, um, and so we go out on a date and he orders a beer and he's like, well, what will he have? And, and I've already been playing with, that, with this idea for a while, this mm-hmm. idea of drinking again. And I've, I've even done a little research by having some Odules, right? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Like just seeing what would it feel like, right? So playing around with this near beer or whatever you call it. And so he has a beer and I order a ginger ale and he just kind of giggles and he says to the waitress, I'll have two shots of tequila. And she's like, okay. And so she comes back. He lays, She lays a shot in front of me, in front of him. And in that moment, I have the thought that 
you don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's that, you should call somebody. But then it's like, the fuck it. You know, mm-hmm. just I just don't say no. And I take the shot and it's done. And it's done. And um, that was it. And um, simple as that, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, so I, so insane, the insanity, right, of yeah. alcoholism, because I am essentially been sober for 10 years and recovery for 10 years. And I'm willing to compromise my life because this is a chronic fatal illness mm-hmm. for the approval of this man. Like, yeah. that's how, that's how messed up it is, mm-hmm. right? That, that these, like, these things that aren't addressed and aren't looked at. And, um, and so that's what happened. And the next weekend I am buying a half case of beer mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm loaded, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. whoo, okay, this is all right. We're going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out because there's no fucking way I can go back to AA having been sober and mm-hmm. pretty active in like, I knew a lot of yeah. people in the rooms. I, you know, we saw each other at lots of meetings. Yeah. Um, you're very, very well respected. You still are, but you were well, then too. Yeah. Um, but like doing like involved in service work mm-hmm. and like there's no way I can go back. There's just no way. And I don't know. Like I know now I had no idea what an egomaniac I was, like how <laughs> prideful I was because mm-hmm. I always thought that pride meant like I am above everybody else. Yeah. I didn't realize that this self-loathing and I'm the worst of the worst is just pride in reverse, mm-hmm. right? It's still so self-absorbed and so self-centered. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that pride of, you know, there's no way I can tell you how bad I hurt mm-hmm. because what will you think of me being 10 years sober? Yeah. That I'm this um, fallible. But that goes back to what you said earlier, right? Right. Yeah. That we have an expectation. Yes. About how good we should be at ten years. Yeah, I know, and it's it's or. so so sad. And since I well, when since I relapsed and came back, mm-hmm. I've talked to lots of people <clears> in like sort of their early tens, early teens, and they're like, "I'm so fucking glad that you told me these things, or mm-hmm. I heard you talk about this, because I know exactly what you mean. Like, there's this expectation to um to not be." Uh, to not hurt or to not fuck up or to, to not, not have a whole spectrum of things. Yeah, like yeah. to not be human. Yeah, any you know, like because we will always be that way, right? God, and yeah. um, no matter how long we're doing this deal, you know, mm. um, none of us are ever going to be perfect. And thank God, fuck, that's so much pressure. Yeah, it was <laughs> well, so there much was. pressure. I drank though. over it for yeah. fuck's sake. Um, yeah. So I um. God, where, where am I now? I I am I've you bought full, half a case. Like yeah, and I'm off to the races, and that's yeah. the same same shit. Um, only this is this is crazy, right? Like I I I saw some of the progression of my alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Having not drank for ten years and almost eleven years, it was it was like three months shy of an eleventh birthday, I think. Wow, and. Uh, it was so powerful. Like it had me by the throat. Mm-hmm. Like it's, um, I needed so much to drink so much more. Like I'm not a big girl and I was, mm-hmm. so I quit smoking a year and a bit ago. So I gained like 20 pounds, but I was, I was like not a big girl. Mm-hmm. I'm still not a big girl. Not at all. But I was I, just going to say that, but I don't want to say that because it's cliche, but whatever. Yeah. But, um, 
You're beautiful sitting in the chair, so. Oh, thanks. You're fine. Um, <laughs> but I would need to, Mind you, like for like, a little girl, like I would go get my little six pack and then that's not enough and I'd go get another six pack mm-hmm. and then I would go get, an, like, that's a lot of booze for, you know, so I'm essentially mm-hmm. then waking up horribly hungover with like alcohol poisoning, really. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so the physical sickness was astounding it was just so it was it was i just couldn't get over it would take me like a week to get over a good drunk um and i'm still pretty much a binge drinking like i'm just Mm -hmm. because that's what i can get away with because i'm still teaching full time which is insane to me um yeah like i'm still teaching and it's a pretty vulnerable youth god i shouldn't really be talking about this publicly (laughs) um Anyway, um, I, I'm still teaching and I am trying to fit it in as, as wherever I can, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's it just it takes so much more and it's I'm I'm so much more sick. But the scariest is when I'm not drinking. Right. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. our insanity is evident when we're drinking and the shit we do and that's disgusting. And it's but it's the insanity in my head when I'm not drinking that mm-hmm. just so full of fear and. Um, like the book talks about that pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization, mm. like that awful dread. And it, like I was hanging on to my sanity by the skin of my teeth mm. all the time is what it felt like. Um, it's And in the first year, I was my high school principal. I started, we started this yoga program at the, the, the school that I was at. And she asked if I would sort of take over it. And, and I had an opportunity to do yoga teacher training, mm. which I did in those first couple of years. Cool. Um, and I thought, well, this is wonderful because this is a way I can be spiritual and still drink. Mm. <laughs> like, this is my logic. Um, <laughs> maybe I can do both. Like, I was really set on figuring yeah. this out. I if, cannot... you, if you weren't an alcoholic, that would have worked. Yes. Right, like so, it's yeah. not a, it's not an unreasonable thing to think in general. It's just sure. an unreasonable thing to think about us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so, I mean, it kind of saved me though, because like I I went to the first because it was over like a six month period every every couple weekends, hmm. um, like two hundred hour teacher training, and uh, so the first time I went hungover, I was like, I can never do this again. Like yoga teacher training is intense. One of our teachers was like. Uh, She's like a Navy SEAL. Hmm. She was this uh, Brazilian lady named Lajita. Oh, man. She would make you sit, stand in, a, like, stay in a plank for, like, five minutes. She was wow. ruthless. Um, she was a wonderful teacher. They were all wonderful teachers. Um, but I was like, okay, this is – I'm going to have to try to manage this. So it would almost keep me sober for a weekend. So it was kind of almost – it did kind of save me in a way. Mm. And it was still really – I would uh, – Every savasana in those trainings, I would be, I would weep on my mat, hey, because it was like the one time I would be still with my thoughts and be just, man, this is, you were living such a lie, right? And on the outside, it all looks good, right? I'm teaching at some pretty reputable places mm-hmm. with some, par- in partnership with some big organizations um, in the city. I, I, I think I have a, a pretty good reputation as a teacher, mm-hmm. as an educator, and and, uh, you know, by all outside appearances, it looks great, you know, 
but on the inside it is such a gong show and I uh I'm just getting crazier and crazier mm-hmm. and uh I I work with very vulnerable youth and and so um it's starting to take a toll on me as well and I decide to switch things up and make a job change and I I work for um a hospital program I change over I leave the 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 board that I'm with and I go work for a hospital program um and I think that okay I'll just it's like the whole geographical thing right I'll mm-hmm. just change jobs change you know and oh god even in in sobriety and outside sobriety I've always been this way you're I'm always looking outside of myself for the next thing right like it's either I'm going to do the yoga teacher training mm-hmm. I'm going to try Buddhism I'm going to move here I'm going to try a new job I'm going to try a new haircut I'm going to try a new boyfriend Right. And as Bob Darrell talks about, it's like changing deck chairs on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. I love that phrase. Um, and that's what it is, right? Like always trying to escape the inevitable mm-hmm. and never, never being able to find that, that release, um, that relief. And so I try this new job and it's in a psychiatric uh, inpatient outpatient program for adolescents. Mm-hmm. And so I'm um, almost three years into this long relapse, mm-hmm. and I am um, I'm stark raving um, when I'm when I'm sober, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. I'm just nuts in in my head, like not yeah. externally, like I'm pretty good at you know presenting what you want to see mm-hmm. or what I think you want to see, and you know, um, so I'm I'm managing okay. I mean, they hired me. <laughs> Um, to, you know, start up, to be part of the start of this new program. And, and there's, and I'm looking at these children, like these kids in this like psychiatric units. And I'm thinking, oh my God. And I'm here sitting at a table with psychiatrists and counselors and we're all consulting. And I'm like, you are just as crazy as these kids. Like, Mm. this is insane. Like, what are you doing? Like, um, and so I know things are coming to a head, right? Like Mm. I know and there's some pretty bad shit's happening. Like I'm waking up, one of my last drunks I'm waking up with, you know, those little um, like sticky things they put on you to monitor your heart. And mm-hmm. like I'm waking up in my bed with these on me with a vague recollection of being in an ambulance and like mm-hmm. not having like just bizarre, just bizarre sort of stuff. And um, like I know that I, I got to, I got to, something's got to give here, you know. Um, and so I took a leave from the board to go work for this hospital program. So I, I have time, like I don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I'm starting to sort of think of my escape here again, right? How can I, and so, you know, my, my, my sister has had, she's lives, she just lives in Calgary now, but she'd lived in Australia for about 10 years hmm. and she at the time was still in Australia. I'd been there a couple of times and I thought maybe I'll take just the rest of the year and go to Australia. Maybe I'll just, and I talked to her about it and you know, and of course there's big fear, right? Cause I'm like, can I just do that? Can I just mm-hmm. leave everything? No job. Like just, and, uh, and I, I was home that summer before I started this job and you know, I'm, I visit my dad's grave, which I don't have often have a chance to do. And, mm. and I'm not talking to him much because of what I'm doing, you know, I'm feeling pretty shamed. And, and I go visit his, uh, grave site that 
that summer that I'm home. And, uh, and I just kind of, just kind of, uh, let it, let it all out and, and just say, I, I need your help. Like I am really struggling. Like I, it's, I'm in a really, really bad place. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I just really sobbed and just really, really just kind of pled with him. Mm-hmm. Like you, you need to help me. Um, and so, I, I sort of just to back up in that summer as well. Um, there was also an incident of, um, I went to visit a friend and, um, this kind of led up to the thinking about leaving and, and needing to get out again. And I went to visit a friend and we were drinking all night and, um, I ended up sexually assaulted. Hmm. Jeez. And, by her boyfriend um, and sort of being so drunk that, you know, I can't defend, you know, I can't do anything. You know, Mm -hmm. you're in that state of drunkenness where you're so, like you're passed out and, you know, that state where somebody's trying to wake you and you just, you can't. Mm -hmm. Keep your eyes open. can't, can't yeah, so I'm like trying and, uh, but I, I, anyway, um, so that, circumstance um was pretty pivotal right because Mm -hmm. i'd been sober for 11 years and thought i was safe from that ever happening Mm -hmm. again you know i really thought that i i was out of harm's way you know Mm -hmm. like you've i'm i'm at an age and i've been that that's not possible and the fact that that happened again and that Mm -hmm. Like that was pretty pivotal in me seeing that this is this is so messed up, mm. um, and so then pleading sort of with my father at this at his gravesite, and and so uh, went home, and my mom went back to the city where my mom was staying, and uh, it's so bizarre. Like I I just had this moment with my father the day before at his gravesite, and go back to the city and I walk into the house my mother's staying in and I uh, and she says I have something for you from your father mm. and I'm like oh and she she proceeds to tell me that she'd my father was a fisherman and she'd sold his um, fishing license and she was giving me a portion of it mm. she said I need I want you to take this and it's not like it was a huge amount of money but I knew that I had a way out like I knew that he'd, it was just, I knew he'd hurt me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, if you need to get out, you have a way out. You have a, a bit of cushion you can work with and you can get out. And so I I did. I, you know, the job wasn't working well. After six months, I was like, I'm sorry. I just, this is not what I thought it was being. I need to be with my family. And I went to Australia, not having any idea what I was going to mm-hmm. not really knowing am i getting sober i just know that i can't live that i just got to get out of here because i'm going to go insane yeah um and so i uh i plan to go to australia i stay with a couple of friends um before i go and i'm really trying to not be drinking i'm really trying to be mindful of how much i'm drinking mm-hmm. and like i have a glass of wine at my friends you know 
one of those odd situations where you have to have a drink and how painful it is to sit through the one drink. drink? And, yeah. and so I do that and, and then I'm off the next day and I fly to Australia and I, uh, I basically sold everything I had, everything, my vehicle, my furniture, my everything. Mm. And I'm just like, I am taking this huge leap of just, I'm just going because mm-hmm. I can't do this anymore. And I'm terrified. Like I've given up a great job and I don't know what I'm going to go back to. Mm-hmm. Um, like I still have a position with the board, but I don't know what it's going to look like. And I'm just, I just can't. So I'm just going to go. And I go and uh, <laughs> I go to Australia. I go to Perth, Australia uh, five years ago. Yep. It's been five already? It's been five years. Yeah. Wow. It was, I went there in March. March of 2014. Yeah. What's today? What's today? What's the day? 19? 19. Yeah. 2019. Yeah. yeah. It's five years. 2014. <laughs> yeah. It was 2014 in March. Yeah. March. God. Yeah. It's almost five years. Um, I arrived in Australia in Mar- on March 19th, 2014, not realizing that I had took my last drink mm. before I left. Um, Get this, Patty's Day. Or sorry, the day before Patty's Day. Because Patty's Day is like my dry date, which is hilarious. That's pretty good. Right? Yeah. March, 7th, March 17th is my dry date. I didn't know. But when I got there and my sister, um, we were not close as kids. We became closer after my dad passed. And she's been she's been like a, a mother figure for me as well, you know. And I can hardly talk about my brother and sister without getting emotional. Like I just... I loved them so much. And uh, when I finally got there and I saw her face, it's like, I can't, I can't be, I can't be fake mm-hmm. here. Like I can't. And it, and it was just that, oh my God, like, it's just this reminder of who I, who I really am, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and she's there with the kids and like, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't drink when I hear, I can't let her see that. I can't. And she knows that things are bad. She doesn't, my my family didn't know about the extent of the drinking because, mm-hmm. you know, they live on the other side of the country or on yeah. the other side of the world. And uh, but she knew things were bad and I, I would call crying and I was so messed up and, you know, I would, you know, she knew I was trying to get counseling and try to, she knew I was a mess, mm-hmm. right? And, but she didn't know the extent of the drinking and she still really doesn't, you know? Um, and I don't try to, you know, explain it to her like i don't feel like everybody needs to understand that i have this thing like whatever i just love that they love me and and so um i i went there and i was still like immediately sort of relieved to be like just physically away Mm. was immediate relief to me um and then to have family and to just be sort of safe Mm. um to just be sort of safe and um so things are good for a little while but you know wherever you go there you are and mm-hmm. so i'm still you know i still i you know i'm i'm depressed i'm sad i'm um and i'm thinking maybe you should go to a meeting maybe you should just go try it and so um I go to this meeting and it's a little place called Fremantle in Perth. Mm-hmm. It's like sort of the Kensington of Perth. Oh, yeah. Um, like the old town. And I go to a meeting in Fremantle 
and uh, I am still I'm so defended, right? Like, I'm just here to check things out, you know. Yeah. Like, and uh, and so I sit and uh, and I just listen, and they do the readings, and immediately it's like that that familiarity mm. and that you know it really pulls on your heart and it sure does. And then like there are they any newcomers, and I'm still my pride is just like. And I just, I, like I say, I'm Dana. I'm like, and I cannot finish that sentence right now. Mm. I just could not, because I'm tr- fighting so hard not to be an alcoholic and not to have this thing. Mm-hmm. Like I could somehow outthink my <laughs> way. Um, it was close. It yeah, did. I was almost there, wasn't yeah. I? I was so close. You were close. <laughs> <laughs> um. And and so um, yeah, I started I started um, going there, and um, and it was wonderful, and they were wonderful, um, and it was like it really was like being a newcomer all over again. Mm-hmm. It was so because you know everything. I was I guess because I was in a different country, and everything felt really different, and you know I don't think I would have got. If I had to come back to AA in Calgary, I don't know that I would have made it mm-hmm. because when I did eventually come back, some people were really shitty. Like they were mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I can't believe you relapsed. And wow, that's like so scary. And like this one lady said to me, she's like, I try to look for the like glass half empty or the sil- half full or or the silver lining, but I just don't see a silver lining here. I guess it <sighs> could happen to anybody. And I'm like, did you just say that out loud to me? Like like to your face? Yeah, to my face. Yeah. I'm like, but, you know, like she's so full of fear and ego that, mm-hmm. she, you know, like, and I, like I get it. But yeah. fuck, like if I had come back and somebody had said that in Cal, like I would have just, I'm never coming back here again. No shit. I was so embarrassed. Like yeah. I was so embarrassed. So, um, so I start going to meetings there and, and I'm still like, oh God, it's really hard for me to like, say the words you know like i'm pretty but i'm pretty humbled like i am i am i have tried everything to beat this mm-hmm. by my own power everything and um this is where i am and uh so i start of course i know i know how this gig works right mm-hmm. i know i need this hp and i don't know how it's going to happen and uh i start um my sister goes to this Christian church in uh, mm-hmm. Perth, um, which is lovely. They're called Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, and they're lovely. And uh, so I start going. And the first time I go, I'm like this. Right? <laughs> and then the second time I go, I'm kind of crying. You know, and then the next, like I'm, you know, I'm starting to sort mm-hmm. of, my, it's kind of starting to crack a bit, right? I'm starting to sort of crack a bit, and I'm going to more meetings, and I'm meeting these beautiful women I, I go to these um, this women's meeting and something really like there's all these God shots start happening like bang, bang, bang while I'm in Australia. Um, for one, like I go to this AA meeting and I'm still like so egocentric and judgmental and it's birthday night. Like, fuck, fuck, right? This is going to be like, oh, AA is wonderful and my life is wonderful. And this lady's 27 years sober. So I'm waiting for the big speech and and she she starts, she gets her chip and she goes, you know what? I I'm 27 years sober today, and this is the most scared I've been in a long, long time. And I'm just stunned. 
because mm. she's so honest and vulnerable about where she's at. Mm. It's not like, oh, look at me, I'm so great. It's like, I'm 27 years sober and I'm really scared. I'm going through some really heavy shit. Mm. And she did try to cover it up with all this, you know, ain't life grand. Yeah. She was real. And I was like, God, it just kind of gave me permission. It was like, yes, like I can still be vulnerable and be human. And and it kind of dropped a lot of those, that thinking that I needed to somehow be this way in AA and mm. be the poster child for AA. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I met, I went to these random meetings and would meet people, you know, like, I mean, it's a city of a one and a half million people. Mm-hmm. And so I went to a handful of meetings, met, met a few people. Um, I'm there for three months total. And, and in May, I, I get appendicitis. Oh. <laughs> I get appendicitis in Australia. So I think I have um, food poisoning, but my, my brother-in-law is actually a physician. So he's like, nah, I think it's your appendix. So I go have an appendectomy in this hospital in Australia. I leave my appendix in Australia. Um, nice. It's still there to this day. It's still there to this yeah. day. Um, I had it out twice, actually. Long story. but Wait, you had two of them? It, no, I didn't. They just <laughs> forgot a piece. And I had to have it out twice. I had oh, two geez. surgeries. It was so... Anything that went wrong could have went wrong. Yeah. Like, it totally... Like, I, they gave me this messed up medication. It was... Anyway. So... I'm newly sober. I'm just starting to crack open this God business mm-hmm. a bit. Um, and I'm I'm in this uh, – my sister has three children and she's busy. She can't be there the whole time. And mm-hmm. and so they, they – I'm there. They don't know when surgery is. It's just going to happen when I, there's time. And they wheel me down to this uh, – oh, the OR waiting room, like, to, to check you in. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I get – just struck with this like kind of fear like holy fuck i'm gonna have surgery i mean Mm -hmm. it's not a minor surgery but i'm in a country foreign country and by myself Mm -hmm. and so i say one of my first prayers in a long long time Mm -hmm. and i just say like i know it's not a big deal like but i'm just i'm kind of lonely could you help me just not feel so lonely Mm -hmm. that's all i said and i'm just kind of a little teary just feeling a little like Poor, well, mm-hmm. you know. And so uh, that was it. And I, and I, then this lady comes over to check me in, and I look up and I fucking know her. <laughs> I have met her in a meeting of mm-hmm. Alcoholics Anonymous, and she is so, she's stunned. She's like, uh, What are you doing here? I'm like, um, I have my appendix out. And she's like, I never work in this part of the hospital. I was letting my friend, I told my friend to take a break. Mm-hmm. that I'd take care of it. I don't usually do this. Wow. And see, she's just as stunned as me. And it was just one of those, like, holy fuck. Like, yeah. I just, like, it was, uh, what are the odds of that in a city of one and a half million? Coincidences happen all the it's time. Crazy <laughs> to me. It's crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. But that sort of started it to me. Like, okay, mm-hmm. like, maybe whatever this, Thing is, and I still hate use. I mean, I use word God at a convenience, right? But yep. whatever this is that I don't understand, I don't think we are ever capable of fully understanding it. But something's here for mm-hmm. me, and that just started. That started everything, and 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 lots of stuff like that happened. And and um, you know, 
at the time, like we were in contact through yeah. Messenger and even that was like just to have somebody to talk about this stuff mm-hmm. with and um, to share some of what was happening mm-hmm. was really important and instrumental and really kind of just, wow, like I can be okay here. Like mm-hmm. I can come back and, and it's okay and and this is still available to me. And, and so that's that was five years ago and I – I can't believe it's been five years. It's been five years, yeah. And I came back to Calgary and, well, um, yeah, I came back to Calgary. And it's funny because I, coming back to teaching, I was I was what's called a must place. And so the board sort of decides based on where you've been, mm. where you'd be a good fit. And they put me in this classroom with um, that was attached to an addiction center for teenagers <sighs> for the first go around. So they wanted to admit, they wanted to keep you honest. Full circle, right? Like, wow. <laughs> um, so that's what I ended up working with. Origi- when I came back, was with these uh, kids mm-hmm. um, in recovery, and and then in, in the the school I'm at now. Like, I'm so fortunate. I I teach yoga first thing in the morning, and we mm-hmm. get to do like. So I get to talk about these cool things like compassion and truthfulness, mm-hmm. and and have discussions about these with these kids and we get to think talk about stuff like well how do you find compassion for shitty people how Mm -hmm. do you find compassion for somebody like donald trump like and having like really thoughtful discussions Mm -hmm. and and then doing the meditation and and like it's amazing like i'm i have so and my sister then moved to canada like i have my family here and i now in aa i i am it's totally different experience Mm -hmm. It's a totally different experience. Um, it's not about like I don't like I'm coming up to five years again, right I on. guess. But it's like I, it doesn't mean like the time thing. Yep. It's like there's. Um, it's an illusion. Now. It's yeah, but it's it's it used to be so much about how it looked, mm-hmm. you know, and now it's just it's it's really it's an internal experience and it's about relationships and and it's. It's different, mm-hmm. and and I I love my life in recovery. It's it's fucking not perfect, that's for sure. Like I, I'm still very human, and mm-hmm. I'm you know I still experience the whole spectrum of it all, and 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 I'm so grateful that I can mm-hmm. and feel it, you know. And um, I'd like to tell you that like I pray regularly, and I, I don't. I'm a shitty mm-hmm. prayer. I don't like it. You know that song by Ed Sharp and the Magnificent Zeros? That one. I don't want to pray. Oh, yeah. To my maker. You know? I just have that on my playlist. Actually. Isn't that a great? Yeah. That's a great tune. But I love that. And maybe I just say it because it's an excuse not to pray. But I say, <laughs> I don't want to. I want to be. What? How does it go? Not so much looking to become. Not the. How is it? How does yeah, it go? Yeah, now I'm all messed up with it. I got the song right. I want to be the prayer, not the prayer. Looking yeah. to become. The prayer. The prayer, not the, not pray- the prayer. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Prayer. yeah. So I think. Maybe I'm just justifying that praying, but that's how I'd like to live my life. But I'd like, it's like you could the be, conversation with God is kind of an internal. Yeah. I think I still have a lot of that sand when I pray. It's like the Santa Claus God thing. Come, yeah. And it's so, um, but it's a diff, way different relationship. It's a relationship mm. now. And, um, and sometimes I can be the shitty friend in the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the shitty friend who only calls you when they need something and mm-hmm. and you help them out and then you don't hear from them again for it. Like, I'm the shitty friend of God sometimes. Like, I'll just, mm-hmm. you know, I am. And that's, that doesn't work. 
you know, it doesn't. Like, it's not that, you know, God's withholding something from me. Mm. It's just like I'm not using it. It's there for me. Yeah. Um, and I find that it's all about the relationships in my life, whether they're like with, like I'm very fortunate to be in a helping profession. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I have these wonderful girlfriends in recovery, like just amazing, sober, successful, beautiful women. Um, and then I have my family, my sisters here and my nieces and my nephew. And that's mm-hmm. really important to me. And it's just, it's, um, it's totally different than yeah. what it was. Um, so much has changed in me in that time. And, and I know that none of it has been, uh, none of it's been, it's not me, you know, mm-hmm. like I know that, uh, like I think about, and I talked about this recently with a friend about how dark it was, you know, that when I was back there doing the yoga and like that time in my life and like it's just amazing. Like the mystery of grace is is astonishing. Like mm. that is lifted from me. You know that darkness and that. You know, and I get to share that with women today mm. who are in that place. You know, and and really, I get it now. I get where they are, and I can um, that I I probably it didn't really. I think you know, and I would never recommend anybody relapsing, but for me, it was it was in around like it was necessary for me to mm. really appreciate the nature of this illness and how powerful God is, mm. and um, how strong love is, um, and how this program really works. Like the the best part of recovery for me is 12 step work. Mm. Um, like it's, it sort of solidifies that, that belief and trust in God, because Mm. I hear myself talking to people and I'm like, I'm not smart enough to know to have said that. Mm -hmm. And I know that that didn't come from (laughs) me. Right. And I know something bigger than me is really working and I have nothing to do with that. Mm. Or when, when a sponsee relapse, right, relapses like they, like I just had a sponsee relapse this weekend. I am not that powerful mm-hmm. in either, right? I can't. And that's really humbling, you know, to know mm-hmm. that, you know. Um, but it keeps me right-sized, I guess. Um, you know, no one, no one who's really running the show. Mm-hmm. And it ain't me. Um, not that I don't try to. Fuck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, you know, I know when I'm in that place quicker yeah. today, and I and I have ways to get out of there mm-hmm. um, than what I used to, because I, I, you know, ego was just running the show for so long, mm-hmm. and not really understanding it like I do now. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else. I think that's it. Like, is are we okay? Okay. So before before we close, though, Dana, thank you so much. So okay. I'm going to read something to you, okay. <clears throat> not just to you, but I'm going to read something to both of you because you're both here right. and to whoever else is listening. So tonight I spoke at our recovery service downstairs and one of my closest friends came with her mom. Her mom is passing, she's passing away from cancer. Mm. She only has a little time left. Oh. We don't, nobody knows how much, yeah. of course, because we're not God. Um <clears throat> But when I knew that too, they were going to come tonight to, so they could listen to me speak, because I actually knew her mom 
before I actually met her. Okay. Because um, her mom used to work at Renfrew uh, Detox. Right. So, um, anyway, I'm going to read this to you. Because this is how I felt as you've been talking tonight. Okay. I felt as though your dad is with us. Mm. Okay. And I, I'm not usually like that. So I just felt it. And it's probably because I saw him get nervous when you were talking about it. So he probably felt it too. Because I could feel your dad here. So I'm going to read this. And, and if it's off serious? base, yeah, if it's off base, um, uh, you can maybe forgive me, maybe not. You've already forgiven me for one thing. <laughs> so I'm not going to push my luck. <laughs> and crossed your name off the list i know i was like she's like people to kill okay damn it david called <laughs> the day my mother died i wrote in my journal so sorry let me start this again okay this is from thick nat han i did not write this yeah, okay. it's from no death no fear the day my mother died i wrote in my journal a serious misfortune of my life has arrived i suffered for more than one year after the passing of my mother but one night, in the highlands of Vietnam, I was sleeping in the hut in my hermitage. I dreamt of my mother. I saw myself sitting with her, and we were having a wonderful talk. She looked young and beautiful, her hair flowing down. It was so pleasant to sit there and talk to her, as if she had never died. And when I woke up, it was about two in the morning, and I felt very strongly that I had never lost my mother. The impression that my mother was still with me was very clear. I understood then that the idea of having lost my mother was just an idea. It was obvious in that moment that my mother is always alive in me. I opened the door and went outside. The entire hillside was bathed in moonlight. It was a hill covered with tea plants, and my hut was set behind the temple halfway up. Walking slowly in the moonlight through the rows of tea plants, I noticed my mother was still with me. She was the moonlight, caressing me as she had done so often. Very tender, very sweet. It was wonderful. And each time my feet touched the earth, I knew my mother was there with me. I knew this body was not mine, but a living continuation of my mother and my father and my grandparents and their grandparents. Of all my ancestors, those feet that I saw as my feet were actually our feet. Together, my mother and I were leaving footprints in the damp soil. From that moment on, the idea that I had lost my mother no longer existed. All I had to do was look at the palm of my hand, feel the breeze on my face, or the earth under my feet to remember that my mother is always with me, available at any time. And that is all. Thanks for letting me read that. That's lovely. Thank you, Dana. Thank you. We would like to remind you that the opinions shared are those of the individuals and not representative of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other affiliation we may share with organizations or individuals. Thank you, Wild Rose United Church, for your open-hearted giving of, to the community at large in a multitude of ways. You have graciously provided space and love for us to work within, and we cannot thank the staff, volunteers, and members of the church enough for all that they do each and every day. Thank you again, Darcy Robinson. As usual, your work is incredible. Thanks for donating it to us. I am not here without each of our board of directors, Trent Baker, Todd Deer, Christine Pimiskern, Heather Morigeau, Wayne Lurie, and John James. To all of the individuals who graciously donate their money and time to helping Freedom's Path become a society and now a charity, thank you. 
Who is Freedom's Path? We work directly with individuals and families struggling and suffering from, with addiction of all types, mental illness, codependency, and a multitude of difficulties humans bring forward as they attempt to make life-altering changes. If you are interested in attending our upcoming or future groups, being a guest on the podcast, or looking to make a donation or help in some other way, please contact us through our website, www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca, or find us on Facebook at Freedoms Path Recovery Society. If you are close to giving up, regardless of what your difficulty might be, please reach out to someone. You can always give up tomorrow, or maybe you won't have to. To anyone listening, imagine that your voice might be the only one someone hears inside their darkness. What is it you would like to say? As for me, I'm David Lurie, and I wish you all the best, wherever you are. Be safe and try to have some fun, because our time here is quite limited after all.